Guys, from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and I am here with the Tredu family from South Africa by way of Canada. They've taken a road trip in a van, bug-splattered windscreen, trooping through, living in terrible hotels, just to get here to Salt Lake to see what it's all about. They've been watching the program online and other programs. I have Jacques, who is the father here, and I'm going to let him introduce his beautiful family. Yes. I'm Jacques, my wife's Jeanette, and I have two sons, Raymond and Rikas, and um, we love the Lord, and we um, came to uh, visit our brothers and sisters here in Salt Lake City and uh, encourage them, and we were invited to give a short testimony. Uh, I'll I'll start. Um, Since I've been born again, Jesus has gradually transformed my life. I used to live for myself, but now I belong to God and and my joy and purpose in life comes from Him. And I'd like to encourage people to read the Bible. Your life depends on it. It's not just another book. It's God's love letter to you. It reveals to us the mysteries of the only true and living God. And faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. Secondly, to to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Seek God sincerely, and you will find Him. Cry out to God, and He will answer you. And thirdly, believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you will be saved. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ, and learn to trust in Him, uh, and follow Him. It won't be easy, but God will always be with you. just have a verse here from uh, revelations 22 Um, this is jesus speaking behold i am coming soon i am the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end i jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches i am the root and the descendant of david the bright morning star if you're looking for god seek jesus and you'll find god now, we have uh, Vanut. He is 15 years of age, a teenager. Now, when we get teenagers on the set, we have to talk about their love life. <laughs> now, Vanut is a handsome, strapping young South African. He's bilingual, ladies, out there in TV land. And I have a suspicion maybe your future wife is out there looking at you right now, a beautiful Christian gal. What else is in your future? Anything to say? Not specifically, no. <laughs> Hey, Vanna is a really good mathematician, like at the top of his game in math. Uh, You have to say one thing, though, more serious, uh, about uh, the Lord. Well, all I want to say is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Lord except through him. Praise God. Thank you for letting me put you on the spot. You're a brave soul. Now we go to Rikas, and I'm going to just put the microphone in front of him and see if he has anything to say. Uh... I love Jesus. Words straight from the heart, <laughs> and they, I'm sure they were. You guys, we love you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Rikas. Thanks, Banner. Okay, you guys, uh, a new book is out on the market. It is called Unveiling Grace, and I'll hold it up here for you. More. Back. To me. And uh, Unveiling Grace is lit- written by Lynn Wilder, former BYU professor. 
Lynn uh, 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 wrote this book, The Story of How We Found Our Way Out of the Mormon Church. A lot of books have been written by LDS uh, about Mormonism, but in my opinion, the very best ones are people who were LDS. They know from the heart what it's like to be in the church. And so we highly recommend this. It's Zondervan is the publisher. Lynn Wilder is the author and the name of the book, Unveiling Grace, available at the best bookstores uh, out there. Got an interesting email uh, this morning from Fernando. It was titled, Greetings from Mexico, and it said in part, I live next to the Mormon colonies that came back down to Mexico back in the 1800s and have been established here since. I'm a Christian since I was eight years old. Fortunately, I had the opportunity to attend a famous school in the region the Mormons built something like 100 years ago. It was a great blessing from God because much of my English was taught there. I used to attend seminary classes each day for six years, junior high and high school. I really appreciated all their teachings, but there was something in me that whenever I was asked to give a spiritual thought, I would always use the word of God as my only reference. Now things are more clear to me of what the teachings and depths of the LDS doctrines are. It is so incredible to understand every single issue addressed in your book, which I'm about to finish because I've lived it. I feel a great responsibility now that my eyes have been open to the truth. Dovetailing perfectly with this email from our friend in Mexico, we received some really amazing news the other day from Aaron in Arizona. Using his uh, skills, uh, all Heart of the Matter television programs are currently being translated into Spanish and are gonna be available on YouTube and through HOTM.TV uh, in about six months. With the power and persuasion of Mormonism essentially going uncontested in Latin America, they don't have any resources to understand what the church is about at all. Uh, this is gonna make huge inroads in protecting these beautiful people when it comes to the Mormon uh, corporate machine. I praise God for people like Aaron who are willing to hear God and follow him in pursuits like this. Andrew in Norway did the same thing uh, years ago, getting us on YouTube, didn't even know what it was. So. Um, in the face of this wonderful announcement about our outreach to all Latin American countries and beyond, uh, let me point something out. Um, I am certain, pretty certain, that if and when Mormonism is accepted by somebody who lives in most of uh, Latin America, other third world countries, their lives will materially improve. Um, if they embrace the ways and means and teachings and system of Mormonism, uh, it provides structure and immediate culture uh, and people in their surrounding community can kind of become family. So uh, the rewards, even financial rewards because of the networking can be tremendous. Uh, as we said before, Mormonism supplies moral guidance and Christian-based ethics, a better standard of living in many cases. Uh, However, listen carefully. Mormonism will not give one person, not a single person, the good news, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will give them a counterfeit, and if and when truly embraced, it will keep people from the good news, uh, no matter what benefits it brings to their earthly life. Uh, I'm gonna talk more about this concept in a minute. When it comes to eternal truths, we are not looking for what makes this life better, unfortunately, or uh, cleaner, more ordered, or uh, even more uh, beneficial. Uh, 
Christianity applied does not do those things, and it was promised that there would be difficulty when you embrace the real form of it. Any well-run club can provide the things that Mormonism does. We are looking for truth that reconciles humanity to God. And I am so committed to Jesus Christ and his finished work that I, I welcome, and you heard me right, I literally welcome the opportunity to help bring any person who does not know God down from the lap of luxury, uh, out of a happy marriage, I, no problem. Out of a happy family life, a happy job, no problem. I look forward and I welcome the opportunity to bring them out of that if that will bring them to a knowledge of the true and living God. It's because if that's the priority, these other things were idols in the first place and it's not understood that way and we think, no, no, Christianity should be all this too. It's just not when it's really applied. Not saying you can't have those things as a Christian. I've been greatly blessed in those areas but I am saying they cannot ever be your priority. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for people uh, like the Tredus, our audience members here, our volunteers, who uh, give so much time and dedication to keep the programs running, and people who just do things to uh, share the message. We pray you'll be, your spirit will be with us, help our callers, the emails we're gonna read, stuff like that. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope God understands the phrase stuff like that. Uh, over the past few weeks, I've given Mormonism some big props. Uh, about a month ago or more, I said that when it comes to doing religion, Mormonism does it better than anybody else. Last week, I said that Mormonism in many ways is no different than any organized religion, that people are people, church is church, and I asked, so what really matters? I was talking with my good, dear friend, RJR, who used to be LDS, and we started listing some things together that we can't believe we used to embrace as active Latter-day Saints uh, over the years, even as adult Latter-day Saints, things we thought were true. So sitting there, I, we started making a list and just throwing out different ideas of what was there. And so I'm gonna share this list with you, just some of the highlights, and ask yourself, if, especially if you're LDS, as you ruminate over these things that I'm gonna present, ask yourself, does this sound true? Do these things sound real? Do they sound like teachings that come from Jesus? First, does it ring true that Joseph Smith said the planet closest to God's home is named Kolob? Um, that God gave Adam a commandment, but really wanted him to break the commandment. And by breaking that commandment, it has amounted not only to the greatest mass of human suffering you could ever believe in, they say it was a fall upward. Uh, that Mormon apostle Bruce R. McConkie from the pulpit said, and I heard it with my own ears, quote, we do not worship Jesus Christ, end quote. That there's a character in the Book of Mormon who is never mentioned by name in the book, but Joseph Smith later told everybody his name was Mahanrai Moriankamer. That early church leaders taught that Jesus was a polygamist and many current older high priest LDS members cling to this teaching today. That back in the 1800s during a military march, a 
bones were found. Joseph Smith was marching to go to war. The war never materialized, but the bones and the earth did. And standing there, he looked upon them and he told everybody, this are the remains of a great Lamanite white warrior by the name of Zelf. That an early Mormon murderer named Porter Rockwell was told by Smith that if he never cut his hair, he would never be killed. Rockwell died uh, in a barn here in Salt Lake City, uh, throwing up, choking on his own vomit from abusing alcohol, by the way. That the LDS literally believe and teach that the Garden of Eden is and was originally in Missouri. That LDS apostle Boyd K. Packer actually said, when the brethren have spoken, the thinking has been done, end quote. I would like to suggest to Brother Packard that when the brethren speak, the thinking should begin. And additionally, this is old boy K. Packer, calls himself an uh, <laughs> apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Packer is the one who said, this isn't a quote but a paraphrase, it quenches the Holy Spirit when we are at a funeral for our departed brethren, to use nicknames like Chuck instead of Charles, or Billy instead of William. Who, who are these guys trying to fool? Uh, how about that faithful temple covenanted, garmented, wearing LDS members butchered over 120 unarmed men, women, and children and that Brigham Young, when he went to the spot where a marker was put in honor of that butchering, said, quote, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I have taken some, end quote. Does this stuff sound Christian to you? Do you believe in this stuff? You really embrace this stuff as part of the true gospel of Jesus Christ? I learned that there are three Nephites from the Book of Mormon who roam the land apparently secretly helping people, especially with farm work, and uh, that didn't help me much as a kid growing up in Huntington Beach, by the way. But uh, these guys were called the three Nephites, still around, according to LDS teachings. That LDS apostle Mark E. Peterson, who was around when I was a kid, a teenager, suffering with guilt, ad nauseum for the way I was living relative to being a Mormon. Old apostle Mark E. Peterson gave some insights on uh, how to overcome self-abuse, as we should say. In the 1970 missionary guide, uh, regard, LDS missionary guide, regarding the topic of masturbation, Peterson said, let me give you four quotes. Never touch the intimate parts of your body except during the normal toilet process. <laughs> Quote, when you bathe, do not admire yourself in the mirror. No problem there, brother, brother Markey. Quote, dress yourself at night so securely that you cannot easily touch your vital parts. Quote, if you are tempted, think of having to bathe in a tub of worms and having to eat several of them as you do the act. Or, in this bit of utter inspiration from Apostle, he said, quote, Reduce the amount of spices and condiments in your food. This guy actually said, as if it was an accomplishment, he said, quote, I have been married to my wife for 40 years and have never once seen her body uncovered, end quote. 
I've seen pictures of his wife. I get why. <laughs> Just, I'm totally kidding. I've never seen a picture of his wife. I don't, I'm totally kidding. I would say that about my own wife as a joke. But I mean, this stuff is unbelievable. And it's done in the name of people who call themselves apostles of Jesus Christ. It is unreal what it does to the mind of, of people in the church. Now listen, I get that at times religious leaders will say things. I mean, the Baptists and the Catholics, they, they've all said things that are crazy. But here's the problem. These guys speak as if for God and the LDS take this as if it is gospel revelation from God. Don't eat spicy food before you sleep. It will lead to masturbation. I mean, come on. And yet the mindset is follow the leaders, follow the prophets. Did you know the 1916 LDS Priesthood Manual has a topic in it called Sex Among the Gods? Bath of worms, Sean, bath of worms. <laughs> <laughs> that LDS business mogul Bill Marriott tells... Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes, that a friend of his got in a boating accident and was severely burned over most of his body, but not the places where the garments were. That wearing temple garments protects you from physical danger, not realizing there's a cloth there that gave an extra barrier that kept the fire from burning the flesh. That Cain, like the three Nephites, is also still alive. In fact, that your prophet that you have a college named after, Brigham Young, actually came face to face with Cain. He was riding a horse and he reports this. Do you believe it? We all know Cain rides a tortoise. <laughs> the audience is slow, man. These are some of my best stuff. <laughs> How about the fact that your church built a multi-billion dollar shopping mall and your Mormon prophet of God, like unto Moses, cried out loud by cutting the ribbon, let's go shopping. That Joseph Smith claimed a phony set of metal plates that were presented to him, now known as the Kinderhook plates, were written by Ham. That as a means to influence a teenage girl to become one of his wives, Joseph Smith told her that an angel with a flaming sword said he would kill him if she didn't submit to his offer. This is all true. How about the little songs the LDS teach to the children? The golden plates lay hidden deep in the mountain side until God found one faithful in whom he could confide. I got to tell you something. It was no mountainside, first of all. They weren't buried in a mountainside. It's all imagery and, and stuff to make you feel. It was buried in a thing that was hardly bigger than a grassy knoll. And it's just all fluff, no substance, no reality. And the kids sing it, they get it in their heart. And so then later when they find out it wasn't a mountainside, but just a little hill by Joseph's home, they put the, well, that's okay. I still believe it's just terrible. Did you know that Joseph Smith said that some funeral scrolls were the writings of Abraham that got into his hand? Abraham, the oldest biblical manuscript we have in existence is probably 250 BC. And it is probably so delicate if you breathe on it, it will fall apart. Joseph said this dude traveling through his area gave him scrolls that Abraham wrote. That's 2050 BC. 
Do you think of any of this or is it just And Smith claimed that the traveling carnival guy got them. What do you say? Do you ever wonder what the Book of Mormon claims that the brother of Jared, that he built barges made of animal skins, that they had windows in them, that those animal skins acted as submarines and traversed across the ocean and got to the Americas? This is in your Book of Mormon, in the Book of Ether. I don't make it up. Do you believe this? That Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon through uh, biblical type instruments he claims were the Urim and Thummim? Actually, that he really translated the Book of Mormon through a rock in his hat? Actually, that he really compiled the book by stealing concepts from a number of other sources? I mean, do you know this about your, the stuff you're calling scripture? That LDS founder Smith rose to the level of a 33 degree Mason in lightning speed in Nauvoo and then weeks later introduced the LDS revised Mormon temple endowment, which, which reflects so much of Masonry. Do you know this about this faith that you have built your whole life upon? You pay your 10% to, you're getting sealed in the temple to go to, you raise your children in it, and you pay and pay and serve and serve, and the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to me. All you that are laid, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's as simple as it is. That Joseph Smith died when a, with a cult-related uh, thing called a Jupiter talisman in his pocket, which the church archives have today, that he called the Garden of Eden Adamon Diamond in Missouri. Adamon, he renamed it. It's called Adamon Diamond in the true language. Adamon Diamond. You know what that's from? I gotta tell you, my daughter and I, we went to a bees game here and there was this guy ready to go on his mission and he was so clean cut, he looked like he was ready to be in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and his job was to sell cinnamon toasted almonds. And we, we were so bored with the game, we just watched him. And he went through the aisles as if singing to God and he'd say, cinnamon toasted almonds, almonds. Cinnamon toasted almonds. I'm not kidding you. The culture freaks you out in this place. And, and it just is just a carryover into everything that, that they do. How about Joseph Smith actually rewrote part of the Bible and he included his own name in Genesis 50, 30 through 33. Included his own person in Genesis. I'm not kidding. What about all the reasons and attitudes toward black people not having the priesthood? Again, in America, prejudice was rampant, but this is supposed to be the true church of Jesus Christ. The Bible said nearly 2,000 years ago, quote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond, meaning slaves, nor free of any kind, male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. But you have the so-called LDS apostle as recently as the 1970s and early 80s making some racist remarks like you can't believe Marky e. Peterson go online and just type in Marky e. Peterson racist remarks. You will find things that they say you can't believe. You want to look into the mindset of the LDS? How about another favorite children's song that they sing? Beloved, but it reveals the mindset of how LDS people think. I'm going to give you my version. I looked out the window and what did I see? Popcorn popping on the apricot tree. Spring. Spring has brought me such a nice surprise. <laughs> popcorn popping right before my eyes. I can take a handful and make a treat. A popcorn ball that would smell so sweet. Listen, it wasn't really so, but it seemed to me 
popcorn popping on the apricot tree. Let's just let's let our imaginations believe that this is true. It wasn't really so, but it seems to me, and I'll just build my life upon these myths. I have a version for the adults. I looked out the window at Mormon history. Prophets and apostles are lying with glee. The internet has brought me such a nice surprise. Hundred of deceptions and a church full of lies. I could shut my ears and scream, it's just not true. It's full, I'll serve a full-time mission and go to BYU. But none of it is real, and so it seems to me, I've been dealt a lie about Mormon history. Now we're bringing down the house. There's the plates. 100, 150, 200 pounds based on their measurement and what they were made of. If gold, 200 plus. Joseph claiming to have run for a mile or so with them in hand, leaping over branches, punching out robbers who are trying to get a hold of them. Do you believe this stuff? What about the great battle of the Book of Mormon on the hill Cumorah? Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of deaths, all warriors bearing steel swords, helmets, and shields, not a drop, not one single bit of tan tangible evidence remaining. I looked out the window. <laughs> the LDS have long taught that Satan controls the water. The bishops need to know what level of petting the youth have done in their wards. That there are 16-year-old boys called priests performing rites that were only set aside for 30-year-old males, completely washed and cleaned in the Old Testament. White and Delight, some line of, for, of talking about skin color in the Book of Mormon was removed in 1981 and changed to Pure and Delight, some. King David, not forgiven of his sins. An individual's blood must be shed for the forgiveness of some crimes. Scriptures are written in Elizabethan English. Revelations are recorded in Elizabethan English. Prayers are said in Elizabethan English. I kiddeth noteth. And it goes on and on with Jesus being married, families being together forever, even though Jesus said marriage doesn't exist beyond this life. I have a family here on earth. They are so good to me. Have they met my family? I mean, this is really a bag of goods that you get sold sitting there. I'm not saying they're on good families in the Mormon church or in other places, but come on, that's a big generalization. They use wonder bread and stagnant tap water to represent communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. They call old men high priests. They ask the church whether the church, which church is true, which is the wrong question because none of them are true. No church is true. Only Jesus is true. They believe you can get devils and demons to shake your hand, even though you won't be able to feel it. There are lockers in their temples, even though the people who go inside have gone through two arduous interviews to prove that they are honest and worthy to be in there. They tell young couples that spirit babies are waiting in heaven for them to be brought forth, and they demand 10% of people's income before they will let them receive all that is required for them to earn their place as God in the future. They speak of mother in heaven. They don't know or reveal her name because it's too sacred. They say God the Father's name is Elohim, complete baloney. That Jesus' name is Jehovah, it is, but that is as God. And they promote a non-Christian plan of salvation with songs like, 
I am a child of God. Not true. Read John 1, 12 through 14. And he has sent me here. Not true. The only one who was sent from above was Christ. We are from below. He is from above. Has given me an earthly home with parents kind and dear. Again? I mean... <laughs> Did you notice that three of the songs I have sung to you all begin with I? I am a child of God. I have a family here on earth. I looked out the window and what did I? I mean, it's all about me. It's all about the self. It is not about him, what he did. What he did, he did it, he finished it, it came, it's done. All you gotta do is say, I believe. And then he works with you. That's all it is. These religions have made mountains out of molehills from the imaginations of men. Do these things sound Christian or rational? Do they sound like they're of God? Or does it seem like a work of man? Check out the facts. Go to www.utlm.org. Go to www.hotim.tv. With that, let's open up the phone lines. 801, I don't know our number yet. Waiting for the graphic to come up. There it is. 590-8413, 590-8413. While we're waiting for the calls, if there are any, we will uh, show this spot and then come back and do some great emails. Welcome back. Operators are still clearing the calls. I'm going to hit through some emails really quickly. You got to listen closely to this. It's short, but it's really insightful. He says, Tom, I come from the bloodline of the Levites from the 12 tribes of Israel. I know that people become the next high priest by the death of their father. Okay. Since Jesus is still alive and is our high priest in the real holy of holies, how do Mormons justify calling somebody else a high priest? Really a good question. Probably have to repeat it and talk about it sometime, but very good. Listen, we're going to go to quickly, and we'll come back to the emails, to Anthony in Toronto, Canada, on line one. Anthony, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Going well. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I, I'm not sure if you remember that I called last week. Oh, what did you say? Uh, I was Mormon, then I became Christian after reading the Bible with the hopes of strengthening my LDS testimony. Oh, yeah, what's going on? Uh, I just want to maybe ask you a question and maybe comment. Yeah. Uh, I, I find it difficult witnessing to Mormons because when you use the Bible, they don't really believe in the Bible, so it's kind of hard to do that because I noticed that when you argue with a Mormon about like what's in the Bible and what's not in the Bible, They'll use the Bible up until you prove them what they're saying is unbiblical. And then they'll start to attack the Bible by saying you can't trust it. Yeah. So yeah. how do you witness to them? What do, you, what do you do? Show them the facts? Yeah, it's one of the great, uh, the great uh, 
moves Joseph Smith made. He got people to, miss, to distrust the Bible because he had to get them to trust in his new book. And so slowly but surely, this has lost credibility, so it is tough. There are ministries out there that teach people how to use their Book of Mormon to show the LDS are uh, incorrect in their modern day uh, doctrines. That's an approach, uh, Anthony. But the other thing I would suggest is just give them the challenge. This is the thing of our ministry, is we just say, look at, have you been born again? What does that mean? You know, you just, and just use the, have you been born again? Do you believe you need to be born again? Do you believe John 3, 3, or is that incorrect? If they say it's incorrect, go to the Book of Mormon, which talks about being born again. So you believe in being born again. Have you been? And then just tell them to take the Jesus challenge. It's not up to you. Uh, and then, then again, it's, there's so many methods. And depending on the person, you'll get sharper and sharper, I know, in how you reach people. And it's not always going to be effective. Sometimes you'll fail miserably, as best I can answer. Yeah, I think it's about, you know, like you said, planting that seed because it's hard because you should say one thing, they'll label you as anti-Mormon, and then they'll, they'll like, block you from, from their lives. Right? Yeah. I, like, like, when I left the church, most of my Mormon friends on Facebook all blocked me because they said I was toxic and I was this and that because I left the church. Yeah. And, and anyways, before we go, can I just give one last comment? Sure. Uh, last week, you asked me what advice I'd have for young people. Yeah. I don't think I gave a good enough answer. I want to kind of rephrase that. Go ahead. Know, what I think about being Mormon, I remember whenever I couldn't follow a certain teaching of the church, I felt so unworthy, and at some point I had given up on faith altogether and gone out to live a life of the world. The message I want to give out to young people in LDS who are struggling because they can't keep us, say, one certain law in the Mormon church, realize that God is never going to disown you because you fall short of keeping the law. Jesus abolished the law. And Jesus loves you, and no matter what you do, he'll take you back. Amen. Like, that, that's all that's my message I want to give. That's something I've missed all these years, and I finally found Christ, and now I know that Jesus took me back. I love it, Anthony. That's great advice, and it's true. So thank you for sharing it, my friend. All right. Thanks, John. Have God bless. Night. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. We're going to James in Long Beach, California. He's online, too. James, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hey, James, you're on the air. Hi. Um... I was I was calling because I wanted to know if if Calvinism was ever going to be a topic that you elaborate on. It is, and we're going to get into it after a few weeks. Let me just tell you where we are right now, kind of in where we are in the shows. Uh, next week we have a lady who left Mormonism, and she actually went back to her ward last week and got up on their fast and testimony meeting, and she shared, and we're going to have her share that same message, and then we'll take calls. The following weeks after that, we're going to be showing the LDS Temple Endowment and with subtitles. Now listen, I have never been about that in our previous shows on the air, and, but we've been seven years and we've given them everything we can and Mormonism is still growing strong. So let's just show what really goes on. I know it's already been done on the internet, but we have a really good uh, subtitled uh, thing after that we will get into Calvinism because it will play into what true Christianity is so it'll probably be about uh, maybe September when we start oh okay okay and then I don't know if, if you have any comments on it now I don't, I've been looking into it a lot recently and wanted to know whether or not you think it people are saying kind of it's an in-house debate but I don't know if you think it's a completely different well I'll say different th thing or I'll you'll go on into that in September. I will, but I'll say this right now. 
Uh, uh. Calvinism stands on all five points. There's no such thing as a one, two, three, four point Calvinist. You got to be a five pointer because they all work with each other. So if one of them is off, then the whole thing, even the Calvinists will say this, is off. I will just stand right now and say limited atonement is bogus. It's absolutely oh. bogus. So that's all I'll say on the t subject till we get to it. Okay, and then um, I just had uh, one other thing. The uh, I looked at Norman Geisler. Yeah. I, I heard you mention him on one of your other shows, and so he's got a thing online about Calvinism, and he had also written a book and um, about Calvinism. And I don't know if you're familiar with James White. I am. He critiqued, he critiqued the book. I didn't watch the entire critique, but, um, but I was just wondering if you had seen that. I haven't seen the critique. I know James White. I know he's a very smart man. I know Geisler's a very smart man. Um, I can't stand in the same arena but, uh, with any of them. But nevertheless, maybe I'll check those out before we get to the Calvinism topic. Yeah, check out, check out the James White critique of his book. We'll do um, it. Okay, cool. Hey. All right, great. I'll, I'll look for that. Thanks, my brother. Thanks for calling, James. Okay, bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Is Ramon a second-time caller? Do we know? Third-time caller? Not sure? Oh, bad connection. Ramon, you're on Heart of the Matter. I turn on my laptop and what do I hear? Sean talking popcorn about an apricot tree. Hey, that's great thing. I, I just had to do that. Oh, it was um, outstanding. It was almost <laughs> as good as me. <laughs> What's up? Uh, the, point, the point that I wanted to touch on was you discussed um, about how this gentleman claimed that he wouldn't touch his spouse or look at his spouse. Yeah. And the portions about sexuality. Well, history has already proven to us that that's one of the most rampant ailments in all the religious groups that practice that kind of sexual dysfunction. Yeah. Where they consider what God has designed for a man and a woman to actually do uh, potentially sinful. Yeah. And, and, and Paul, Paul even talks about it. Uh, say it again. I said Paul talks about it. He says, "Don't, don't, uh, don't uh, leave each other alone for very long." <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then, and then when you look at the, the the further complications that take place, you get priests molesting children. It tends into enter areas of further perversion as well. Why? Because the sickness is so serious. The misconstrued view is so ill that they attack other means of that necessary self-gratification. And then it makes it real easy to get deeper. So you touch on a topic that assaults all of mankind, no matter what religious group it's to be found in. Good point, Ramon. Thank you so much, my friend. Really You're welcome. Good. You have a beautiful day. And keep up singing. Okay, you, you too. Bye-bye. That's a really good point, you know. Uh, when we try to legislate ourselves through law and binding yourself and eating worms, imagining eating worms, and all these things to overcome our flesh, it leads to just more problems. It doesn't work that way. That's why Jesus came and he gives us spiritual power to deal with our failure and our successes, leads us through, through faith, 
We trust in him. He is our king and guide. All focus on him and we will fail. We will succeed. But we don't have to worry about all this stuff because he's right. It leads to some real heinous things behind closed doors. We're going to go to Gary in Casper, Wyoming on line two. Gary, you're on Heart of the Matter. Gary? Hey, Gary, you're on the air. Hey, got a question for you. I'm on LDS. I, I met uh, a guy I work with. I met with a Sunday school teacher, and we've, he's, I've been dialoguing with him about the prophets. Tell him how I have a hard time believing Joseph Smith was a true prophet. Yeah. Anyway, I got a part of an email here. Can I read it to you? It's about three or four sentences. Yeah, go ahead. There's a response of Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. Oh. Hmm. He says, again, Paul here says that in uh, prior times God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days spoken to us by his son. The phrase, the fathers, clearly alludes to their Jewish forebearers and suggests strongly that their Jewish tradition was based on the words of those prophets. But in these last days, Paul days is what he's saying, is it, if it were to be said in these recent times. Oh, and I, nice. But is there any solidness to that i mean it just doesn't make sense i don't know where he's getting that i'd have to look at the greek that's the only way you're going to be able to tell what the kind of tense is and what it means it could mean in recent time and in these recent times but if even if it says that then i would that would mean to me that recently christ came and he speaks to us through christ now not it doesn't have any bearing on the future but i bet the greek it doesn't mean that at all uh lds are not known for looking at the greek so that's how you do it. Go online, look at uh, Strong's Concordance, and, and it will help you see, uh, it'll explain what is meant in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, or 1 through 3. Okay. All right, Gary, thanks Sounds for good. watching. Uh, hey, one more question. Yeah. I got this whole uh, email here. I wondered, can I email this to you and have you kind of look through it and see if there's anything you can use? Right. Absolutely. If it's something we can use, we put it in a file for either the Christian or for the Mormon side. In terms of responding, um, we would get to it, but it's going to be a little while. Okay. Sounds good. All right, my friend. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, this is from Barry. He says, my transition to atheism. Sean, I've always been a fan of you and your show. You are clear and sincere in your efforts. I was a Christian most of my life. I don't mean to say this to upset you, but you were instrumental in me arriving at the position of atheism. As I watched your shows and followed your example of fearlessly and fairly scrutinizing other people's religions, I eventually had no choice but to apply the same to my own Christianity. You see, for our arguments to work, we have to start with the presupposition that the Bible is the only accurate and true doctrine and then go from there. But that's not very logical or fair. I'll tell you right now, that's the beginning of the problem. Uh, because you're gonna base your logic and you're gonna base your fairness on how you measure that presupposition against others by the strength of the Bible and its existence. And so you have to see how does this Bible stand? Where did it come from? What are its problems? And investigate that. He's saying that it's just not logical to believe that the Bible is the only book that we should turn to. That began the, the house of cards. I had to stop ignoring the hard questions I always had, but somehow suppressed questions like, why did God leave innocent beings, Adam and Eve, with no knowledge of good and evil in close proximity to a tree that would cause them to surely die? along with the cleverest of wild beasts, meaning Satan. 
That seems much like an irresponsible parent leaving a toddler with an open bottle of Drano, okay? So this is his thinking. Now, uh, first of all, God put a tree to give them choice. He warned them, don't eat of the tree. He ha Adam had intelligence. He named the animals. They had concepts. They had uh, abilities in their mind to understand certain things. In fact, they knew they weren't supposed to, it, to eat of that. It was Satan who beguiled them. And so they were tempted and they were drawn away and did what they knew they shouldn't do. Whether they knew the ramifications, no. But the tree was placed there for them to choose. Go to God and say, hey, why can't we eat this tree? Hey, we're tempted to eat this tree. Hey, there's a serpent demon over there saying we should eat it. God, what do you think? They had all those choices. If they had no choice, no opportunity to disobey, then God would never have, they, he, they would have been little robots that were just commanded to live in this garden and do what he said. He knew they were gonna fail. Satan didn't thwart his plan. He knew that uh, Adam would uh, be tempted. Satan didn't, Adam didn't thwart his plan. It's all there by his foreknowledge doing what he knew would occur and he uses freedom, free will, and people's choices to bring about his grand design. Um, okay, does God condone slavery or order the slaughter of, why does God condone slavery or order the slaughter of so many, including women and children? Uh, again, some of these things are impossible to answer, but if you look at the eternal spectrum, this is gonna be my first defense, of God who sees things in a one giant hole, not like us who have a little sliver of, of existence, but he sees the beginning, the middle, and the end. Death is not as significant to him as it is to us. He has plans involved. If death is part of that, it's part of it. He knows what he's doing to bring about his grand design. Secondly, uh, he doesn't condone slavery, but I would suggest to you that he is more of a God of freedom than he is almost anything else except for maybe love. He wants freedom. And so in that, he works in and through the choices of men to bring about his plan. He could step in and say, I'm gonna stomp out freedom. I'm gonna stomp out slavery. I'm gonna stomp out abortion. I'm gonna stomp out evil people. He could do that, but he doesn't. He has the, the ability to let us be free, make our poor choices, and work his will in and through it. Best I can give on that. Uh, why does God give us impractical and potentially harmful advice like not to worry about tomorrow and do not sow or reap or stow away in barns when so many starve to death daily? Uh, we walk by faith. The more you walk by faith, according to Hebrews, the more you please God. Jesus' message is trust in me, walk by faith. His message is not, because this is not biblical, to be irresponsible. His message is not to just throw care to the wind, not to pay your bills, to be an irresponsible employer. That is not what the Bible says. It says to work. In fact, the Bible says those who don't work will not eat. The message is, if you take it contextually, Jesus has said, don't sit there as a believer in me and rub your hands together fearing about what's gonna happen tomorrow to your to your uh, safety, to your savings account. Don't sit there and rub your hands about what's gonna go on. Trust in me and I will see you through. That is the overall message of why he taught that. So what I'm seeing here, and I'm gonna read the rest, Barry, is you have a slant. 
you have anger, you have disappointment, you have, you don't believe anymore. All those things are normal in the human experience. But the question is, when are you going to give some of these some other thoughts rather than thinking you've sized them all up with these questions? Why does the story of Jesus share so many common attributes with older deities, like being born of a virgin uh, uh, or a God dying and resurrecting? And he's probably pulling from different uh, stories, mythologies and stories that came before Christianity. Preemptive strike by Satan? I don't know. I can't answer that. I know that those myths have been around. Maybe those are uh, archetypes that people look to as cultures that there will be someone who will overcome death. And they include those into their, we don't know. But all I can say is we have a resurrected Christ based in history, based in 500 witnesses, based in written accounts, people who gave their lives and we have historical evidence that they existed and died for their witness of his resurrection. I don't know that we have that with the Mithrak uh, uh, mythologies and stuff like that. Why does the book of Matthew not mention the virgin birth or the resurrection? You've been reading Vixen Crabtree's 1991 article, which is not true. You've, been, you, you've gotten your uh, degree in theology from the internet, which is very dangerous. He's the one who said it wasn't there, but we have scholars who have searched the Bible in the original languages for hundreds of years who say that's not true. We're gonna go to Drew in Laguna Beach in just a second. Uh, why does God contradict himself with clear rules like thou shalt not kill followed by orders to kill? It's thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not take innocent blood. The Hebrew, that's what it means. They say kill. The translation is thou shalt not take innocent blood. Is there any innocent blood among those pagan uh, cultures that were killed that were a picture again in the big picture of Christ of representing sin and the flesh? No, there was no innocent blood. And so it's hard for us, I agree. It's one of the most difficult things for us to explain in Christianity, but I'll stand by faith. Why would a good God kill an order killing? And why would an omnipotent God need us to do the killing for him? I suppose we could say that about everything, couldn't we? Why doesn't God plant our fields? Why doesn't God do the harvesting? Why doesn't God pull people over who are speeding on the, on the highways? I don't know, but we are taught to follow him, walk by faith. He tells people to do something. The ancient Israelites did it. This was a picture of cleansing out the leaven in their society, getting rid of the pagan societies. You take it as a picture, you trust it, you see. I don't know. The questions could go on and on, he says. I'm no uh, longer satisfied with the standard apologetics for these questions. Look at you're supposed to question, Barry. Question your brains out. Seek and read all you can. But in the end, if your heart is open to knowing truth, he will always bring you back to your knees. But if you've closed off the idea that he is there and exists and the Bible is a fraud and all that other stuff, you're closing off your heart. You know, and I don't care if you've been raised a Christian, that's what you're doing. All right, let's go to Drew in Laguna Beach, California, line one. Drew, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, hey, um, I'm... Uh... I'm really honored to get to talk to you. Um, I have a question. Boy, that's a boy. I'm already kissing butt. But I have a question about. Um, I, you know, I just wanted to tell you that um, we've never met, and you've really impacted my life. And it's weird that there's only this one-way direction that you've kind of fed me, and, I, and that we've never met. And I'm that weird guy at like 2 a.m. that's watching your videos. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and I, I really like that you have them available, and I've gone through and watched probably 50 or 60 of them. 
but I wanted to find out, I have a question about kind of the Mormon philosophy on sin. When it comes to like the Garden of Eden, when Satan said, partake of the fruit and you'll be like God's, the Mormons interpret that as a necessary step in order for them to have come to like have the law of eternal progression. Like, did they have to, did they feel that that was a necessity? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it was a fall upward. What was that? They call it a fall upward, Drew. Wow. Yeah. They think that Satan was, Satan, Satan was actually telling the truth, or do they think that he was being deceptive? Uh, that's a really good question. They think he, they, they have different answers for it, and that's part of the problem with the whole story. I call it the greatest crack in the Mormon uh, uh, theology. And this is why, and then you can go on with your questioning. In the temple film, Satan said, God comes to him after Adam and Eve fall upward, and God says, what has thou done? And Satan says, that which has been done in other worlds. Okay? So Satan tempting Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit, Satan says to God, I've only done what has been done in other worlds. All right? By getting Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit, the Mormons believe their eyes opened, they saw what their vital parts were for, which they shouldn't touch unless for normal toilet uh, training, and... <laughs> And, and they were able to then have procreate. So the crack in the Mormon theology is why would Satan, who knew this was what was done in other worlds, and this is how God got his plan enacted in other worlds to bring spirits down from heaven through sexual procreation, which Adam and Eve now knew how to do because they ate the fruit that Satan told them to eat. Why would Satan do that? Why would Satan not say, you know, stay away from that fruit, the banana's great, try the grapes, do everything he could and tempt them to do everything but eat that tree because then God's plan would have truly been frustrated. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. I mean, well, it does. It makes sense, but it doesn't make sense, I guess, <laughs> in, the, in their philosophy. Yeah. The other, the other question that I had was, Kind of, you know, I'm not sure. I know that you used to be a Mormon, and I, I don't know how, I, I guess you were a Mormon for 40 years, you were saying, or something. Were yeah. you around the time when, like, you know, Ed Decker defected and, like, Walter Martin and that whole crowd were kind of circling around? And what was your perception of them then? And what's your perception of them, like, now, 20 years later? Like, do you think that their ministry was, like, effective? Do you think it was, I'm, I'm kind of curious what your perspective is on it from both sides. As a Latter-day Saint, I thought that they were, uh, they were horrible, evil, corrupt men. Uh, uh, now, uh, doing what I do, I know that their information has led many people to understand light and truth, especially Dr. Walter Martin and his, uh, his debates with LDS people and stuff like that, really smart guy. My, I have a problem with Ed Decker on, on a number of accounts. Uh, um, Brother Decker, uh, as virtuous as his heart may be toward the end, he believes it's okay to lie about Mormon teachings because it's anything, he'll use anything to bring them down. And I've never agreed with that philosophy. And he's the one who comes out with all the films and the books about, and, and some of them are really valid, but uh, the other ones have come later or not. So I, I think that that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it's weird with me with the Ed Decker thing because 
I mean, his films were, are very compelling. You know, that animated film from the Godmakers. Yeah. It's like it's put into such a weird context where they're like trying to pretend like they're talking to attorneys that they're going to sue the Mormon church oh. for fraud. And it's just so like, it just, it takes a message that I think has like a good place, but it's put in such a hokey, contrived, fake way that this, kind of ruins their credibility. Yeah, and I would agree with you on that point. Sandra Tanner, she agreed with the Godmakers too. She did, they would not support it. And so, you know, that happens though in, in things. People make mistakes, they come up with different, I've obviously made some mistakes. And you do things that you think is right and you're wrong. And so I, I give that benefit of the doubt to Ed Decker. Although when we came out with Born Again Mormon, he came out guns a blazing against us. So that's all right. Okay. Well, hey, I got I got really captivated and interested in your program right when you came out with episode 349, and I became super enthused in your new direction. And then, you know, I guess the, the you changed it up and you're changing it back. So I think that, that chapter was totally necessary, and I think God will use it for good. And I just always think that change is good, and, and I'm uh, praying for you. And um, I, I'm really happy about your ministry, and I think it's going to be going to change a lot of people's lives. Thanks so much, Drew. God bless you, my brother in Laguna Beach. Okay, take care. See you later. Bye bye. Listen, um, uh, we're going to continue to hit on things about uh, evangelical Christianity as it comes up and is applicable. For instance, uh, there's a church here in Salt Lake City that has a thing uh, where they are inviting the secular world to come into the homes of their members and to teach their congregates about how to deal with things like suffering and pain. So they're having atheists come in and teach their congregates how atheists relate to suffering and pain. Or I don't know all the topics, their, their website didn't say it. But what it's saying is the, let the world teach us how things should be rather than us saying this is what the Bible says, this is how it should be. Uh, another one, uh, uh, Linda told me this today, online on uh, Facebook, there's a picture of a Catholic priest dressed like cat in a hat, and he is giving communion uh, in dressed like that. And he's doing it because he said it's for the kids. I don't know how far we're going to go. I don't know where it's going to go, but there is a level of insanity out there, you know? <laughs> uh, anyway, also, Jen's in Sweden. Thanks for watching, she wrote. And... Um, from Melbourne, Australia, wanting to know where we can get in his words, you can go online at www.hotm.tv. We're working on getting those songs on there so you can download them to your places so you don't have to do the shipping to Melbourne or other places like that. I think we're out of time. Uh, listen, we love you. We do love the LDS. And, um, and like I said, I have a lot of respect for how they do church in many ways. But their doctrines are, lead away from Christ. So do the doctrines and teachings of other places. We want to stay true. I'm going to be wrong on things. Uh, seek it out. Prove me wrong. Open your Bibles. Read. Pray. Seek God. Be a, be a person of faith. Trust in Him in all things, and you'll find your life much better. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.